Good morning. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9 will be our text this morning. I think that one of the best things about having children is when you get to watch them have moments of just pure joy. There's nothing like a kid that's experiencing pure, unadulterated, complete joy. I think nothing is purer than the sound of a child laughing. The other day I was sleeping, it was about 6.30 in the morning, and Sam went and got a Dr. Seuss book, jumped in my bed, sat right next to me, and read it with all the joy you could ever imagine on a four-year-old's face. Okay? Doesn't matter that he can't read, uh, he's making up the words as he goes, okay, but it is pure joy. Also this week we played Candyland. Okay, and I am pleased to announce that my oldest son, Luke, playing with his favorite color, blue, won Candyland. Okay? I know, be excited, be excited, it's a big deal. Okay? He was shouting, he was, Daddy, I won, I won Candyland. Okay, I guarantee you that when Handel defeated Ossoff and won Georgia 6, she did not celebrate as hard as my 8-year-old son celebrated winning Candyland with his favorite color. Okay? Anyone who's ever been around kids knows that nothing beats seeing a kid experience pure joy and bliss without any of that undercurrent of worry that we carry around with us as adults. I think something happens to us in the intervening years and we lose that ability to experience pure joy. And I think that one of the reasons that you and I are here this morning is that we are searching for something that we've lost as kids. Okay, we are searching for that peace that we've lost, that comfort, that ability to feel joy. I think most of us as adults walk around with this constant level of stress, this constant level of worry. Is that fair? Most of you feeling a little bit at least of stress somewhere in your life right now? But I think that if we take the words of Jesus seriously, we realize that's not his vision for us as disciples in his kingdom. I mean, after all, did you hear the scripture reading that we just had? He says to us, come, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. As we go to Scripture, what is the vision that Jesus has for us in our life in the kingdom? I think it's supposed to be joy. I think it's supposed to be peace. I think that no matter what life is throwing at us, we're supposed to have this joy that we have somehow lost when we became adults. Okay, so here's my question to start with this morning. That is, what is it that steals our peace? What is it that keeps us from experiencing that rest and that joy that we are supposed to have in the kingdom of God? Okay, especially when I come here, what I want is to lay down my burdens, lay down my problems, come before God, be in His presence, experience the peace that can only come with the Almighty. I want to experience the kind of carefree joy and excitement that I see in my own children. Okay, but something happens. Right? The years have taught us, the world has taught us that it's not that easy. Okay, I want to come before God like a worry-free little child, but some of us carry burdens that are so hard and so heavy that it seems impossible. 
I know some of you are here this morning carrying burdens of failed relationships. Okay, maybe it's with your wife, maybe it's with a child, maybe it's with a friend. But for whatever reason, you can't seem to find the harmony that you know should exist. And you would love to reclaim that great relationship. You just can't seem to make it work. A similar burden that's in this this same vein is the problem that so many of us experience of loneliness. It's not necessarily that the relationships you have are failing or strained in any way. It's just that for whatever reason, you don't have any good, solid, deep relationships with anyone. Okay, you feel like there's nobody in your life you can really be real with. Okay, many of us have a thousand friends on Facebook, but how many people do we know that we truly feel like this is a brother or sister in the kingdom? Okay, but even though this may be a crushing weight on you this morning, I think there's an even bigger problem that we face that steals our peace and rest. Okay, some of you this morning are here and you carry with you financial burdens. And you wonder, how is it possible that in the greatest and the wealthiest nation that has ever existed, why do you struggle so hard with money? Okay, I know a lot of us have had times in life where we feared going to the mailbox. Okay, we feared answering our own phone. Okay, it shouldn't be that way. You feel like no matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, just living day to day is an endless marathon with no rest and no peace in sight. Many of us have our peace and rest stolen by financial worries. But even though that can be a crushing problem, I think there is a much bigger problem that you and I face this morning. Some of you here this morning carry with you burdens of sickness. There's nothing more betraying than when we feel like our own bodies have betrayed us and failed us. And not only does that cause pain, it also costs us tremendous amounts of time and energy. And even more than that, we know that even if I beat this illness, there's going to come one someday that I can't beat. Right? No matter what happens, no matter how healthy I might be right now, my own mortality is always lurking in the corners of my mind. And even if it's not a personal struggle that you have with sickness, you know somebody, you love somebody who is hurting terribly, and one of the problems with the burden of sickness is there's really nothing you can do about it. I think I speak for pretty much all of us this morning when I say with great confidence, I hate sickness. But even though that can be a big burden on us, even though that can be something that steals our peace and our rest, I think there is a much bigger problem that you and I face this morning. Okay, so what is it? Okay, we could list other burdens this morning. I just picked three that I thought I'd share with you that I think are pretty universal to us. But what is bigger than all of those things? What is bigger than all of those other problems we face? What is that big burden that we carry with us that make all of these other problems seem small in comparison? Okay, what is the biggest burden that separates us from our joy that changed from when we were kids to now that we are adults? I think it's this. I think that we are sinful people, and we know that we are sinful people. I think that's the big burden that we carry with us. Now, we do a good job of putting our best foot forward to the world. Uh, I, like most of you, I'm sure, have done a pretty good job of hiding my sins from most people. 
Okay? When I meet you and shake your hand in the hallway, I'm not going to say, hey, here's what I'm really struggling with today. Right? We don't do that. No, we hide our problems. We hide our sins. We even deny our sins to ourselves. Okay, after all, I like to look in the mirror and think, I'm a pretty good guy. Okay, but deep down, when we truly take the time to be introspective, if we ever really do take the time to look in the mirror, we recognize how sinful we are and we feel guilt and we feel shame. Okay, so what do we do? Now that we've got this guilt, now that we've got this shame, when we suddenly realize, you know what, I'm not the person that I want to be, I'm not even that good of a person. What do we do with that? Okay, well, we try to fix it. Okay, we resolve that henceforth I will go and I will live a better life. Right? And if anyone brings up those mistakes from my past, I will cry out and say, well, that was the old me. That's not the person I am anymore. What we do first when we encounter our own guilt is we resolve to do better. Okay? But there are two reasons, at least, why that doesn't work. Okay? In the first place, even if I resolve to do better and put forth a whole lot of effort towards doing better, it does absolutely nothing to take away the guilt and the shame that I feel from all those times I haven't been the right person. I still feel guilty. Okay, the second reason why this doesn't work for us, just resolving to do better, is because at some point I'm going to be depressed or lonely or stressed or all the other things that happen in life, maybe just bored, and at some point I'm going to fall back into those same sins, those same imperfections that have dogged me forever. We resolve to do better, but I'm not strong enough to be a better man. Is that a fair assessment? Or is it just me? I think the biggest burden we carry with us is that we are bad people and we know it. But as Christians, thank the Lord, we are gathered here today because we know it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to live with guilt. We can reclaim that joy we had as children because God loved us. He loved us so much. He loved us while we were sinners that he intervened in our lives to make it different right and really that's what hebrews chapter 9 is all about this morning i know that was a long introduction don't worry the rest of my sermon won't be correspondingly as long but if you look at hebrews chapter 9 this is the argument that our author is making this morning it's kind of a lengthy chapter we won't read the entire thing okay but at the very first part of hebrews chapter 9 the first five verses he describes all of the furnishings in the tabernacle he says if you looked at the tabernacle moses set up in the wilderness here's what it would have looked like and then he says this starting in verse 6 he says when everything had been arranged like this the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry but only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered, Okay, and here's the part that I think is key to this whole text, All those gifts and sacrifices were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Okay, Hebrews is assuming as we read this text that we have a great mental picture for what's happening here. 
Okay, picture in your mind the tabernacle. Okay, when Moses goes, takes the children of Israel out into the wilderness, they set up this big tent, and that is where God will dwell. Okay, there are multiple levels to this tent. In the very middle of the tent, you have the Holy of Holies. This is where we put the Ark of the Covenant. This is where the cherubim are, and the mercy seat sits on top of that Ark. It's really just a gold plate sitting on the Ark of the Covenant, and we know that that is where God dwells, right? If you've seen Indiana Jones, you've got a good picture of what the box looks like, right? Okay, and inside that Holy of Holy place, outside of that, there's the other level. Now we have the Holy place. Outside of that, we have the outer courtyard. Outside of that, we have the Israelite camp. And outside of that, we have the wide world of pagans. Okay, and the closer we get to that Holy of Holies, the nicer the material gets. The more gold we use, the nicer the cloth that we put on, all of the stuff, and the fewer people get to go closer into the middle of this thing. Okay. Who is it that gets to go all the way into the most holy place? Only the high priest. How often does that high priest get to go all the way into the middle of the tent? Once a year. Okay, when he goes in, he makes the atonement sacrifice for all of the people. Okay, he is the only one. Now, later in Jewish history, we will move from the tabernacle, from the tent, into the temple, a more permanent building, but it's the same setup, it's the same rules, all of the old stuff still applies when we move into the temple. Now we have various courtyards, and if you're a certain person, you can go in all the way to the middle, but it's only one person, only once a year. And the further you are away from it, the further you are from God's presence. Okay, so Hebrews is telling us that there are two problems with this sacrificial system. Okay, the first one is that there were layers, there were barriers between the people of God. Okay, unless you happen to be that high priest, you don't get to go all the way into the direct presence of the Almighty. Okay, now, being that close to God is a little bit terrifying, so you may not want to go. Okay, but there is a distance that separates you from God. Okay, but the bigger problem, he tells us in verse 9, is number 2. And that is that even with all these sacrifices, even with all of this elaborate temple structure, even with this extravagant worship that they had, it couldn't clear the conscience of the worshipers. Okay, the fundamental problem is that guilt still remained. You might get to see an offering made for your sins, but all of that shame, all of that anxiety, all of that stress stays with you. You never could find real peace. Okay, but there is good news, starting in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. Notice what he says. He says, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Okay, again, here, verse 14, this is gospel. This is good news. He says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death 
so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So here's the whole point. Do we want to reclaim the innocence we had when we were kids? Do we want to reclaim that pure joy, that experience of just unadulterated bliss? Do we want to be free from our guilt? Do we want everything to be put back right? The only way there is through Jesus. All right, three things he says about this, about how the arrangement that we enjoy is so much better than that experience in Judaism. He starts off by telling us that we get this because it's a better sacrifice, right? There's better blood being offered for us than was ever offered when it was calves and goats, right? We have the blood of Jesus himself that's making us clean. Okay, the second place he tells us that this blood is taken into a better shrine. Okay, there's no longer a tent in the wilderness. There's no longer a temple on Mount Zion. Now Jesus is offering this blood directly in the throne room of God. Okay, there's no box that God's supposed to dwell in anymore. Now Jesus is offering this directly at the feet of God our Father. Okay, the third thing he tells us is that this affects a whole lot better results. Okay, we don't do this once a year. Right? Jesus did this sacrifice once for all. We are cleansed, we are holy, we don't go back and forth being holy and unholy. Instead, because of Jesus, you and I have been made holy. Everything about the ministry of Jesus is superior to anything that was ever done in Judaism, and ultimately, we have a better tabernacle, we have a better way to approach God himself. You cannot understand Christianity without understanding this. Does that work? And the reason Hebrews is writing all this is he's saying, why in the world would you consider anything else you have going on in your life meaningful if you're not devoting yourself to this first and foremost? I don't care how impressive that temple down the street looks. I don't care how important your job is. I don't care how good looking that girl down the street is. None of that matters if you don't have this. Okay? This is it. All right, two quick applications for us, and then we will be done this morning. First application is, because of this, you and I are free from guilt, okay? You don't have to feel guilty anymore. Uh, Several years ago, when Pope John Paul II died, there was a man named Rogers Cadenhead, a self-described domain hoarder. And upon the death of the old pope, he immediately went out and registered the website www.benedictthe16th.com before the Catholic Church knew that they would need that website. Okay? The right domain name can be quite lucrative. Uh, In the past, the Catholic Church had paid thousands of dollars for domain names before, and it was estimated that Cadenhead could easily sell that domain for well over $20,000. Okay? It was a good time on his part to register that domain. Cadenhead, however, didn't want money. He was a Catholic himself. He was very happy for the church to have that website. He said, I am going to try and avoid angering 1.1 billion Catholics, and especially my grandmother. He did, however, have three demands for him to give this website to the Catholic church. Demand number one, 
he wanted one of those hats, which I think is awesome. Demand number two, he wanted a free stay at the Vatican Hotel. Easy enough. Demand number three, though, is the interesting one. He wanted complete absolution, no questions asked, for the third week of March, 1987. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really curious as to what happened the third week of March, 1987, and why this guy feels so guilty for it. I think most of us know what it's like to feel guilt. I think most of us know what it's like to feel shame. One of the great promises of Scripture is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you and I don't have to carry shame. We don't have to carry guilt with us anymore. We have a better priest offering a better sacrifice at a better tabernacle that completely cleanses our consciences, makes us holy before God Almighty. You know, a shoplifter once wrote to a department store, with the following note. He said, I've just become a Christian and I can't sleep at night because I feel guilty. So here's the $100 that I owe you. Okay, he signed his name and then added at the bottom, P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> what we're talking about this morning is being completely free from our guilt. Having that childlike joy. So do you feel free? Do you have that kind of peace about you? Have you embraced Jesus' kingdom vision for how you were supposed to live as his disciple? If we don't feel free, we need to keep studying this gospel story, right? Because it promises us that freedom. All right, number two. Not only are we free from guilt, uh, but we are also free to be in God's presence. Okay, that curtain was torn in two. Uh, There's no more dividing walls separating us from God. The way into the Holy of Holies is now open for each of us. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can come directly before God. Wednesday night, um, we were getting ready to come home, and we were in separate cars. And so Luke wanted to ride with Mama, and Sam wanted to ride with me. So that's fine. So Sam goes with me. Luke goes with Mom. Mom gets home just before I do, and she pulls into the garage. I pull in right behind her into the garage, and she looks into my car just as Sam was climbing from the back seat to the front seat. Because for whatever reason, Sam likes to exit the same door that I exit, which is great for him to put his feet all over my new car seats. That's fine. Okay, so he gets out of the seat behind him, and as he's crawling from the back seat to the front seat, Rachel looks in my car. Okay, and what she sees in my car is an empty back seat and an empty front seat, and she immediately looks at me in a panic and goes, you left Sam at church. Okay, and it was only for a second... Okay, because then there was Sam. She just happened to look at the exact second that he was between the two and she couldn't see him. Right? Any of you ever lost your kids before? Okay. Um, what happens inside of you when you lose one of your kids? There is no fear more profound than losing one of your children. Okay, when we first moved here, we lost Luke for a little bit out in the parking lot of our apartment complex. We didn't know he could undo the deadbolt. Turns out he could, okay? That's why there's now a chain in that apartment in that that particular complex, right? But we lost our child for a while. There's no fear more profound than that of losing your child. Okay, when God lost us, he felt that same way. Because of that, he sent his own son so that we could be returned to the presence of our father. 
There's nothing more loving than the sacrifice that God made for us so that we could again be in his presence. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be completely free from our guilt and we can dwell in the joyous presence of God Almighty. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front, one of our shepherds will be down front. And this is a time in our service where we as the church want to be here for you. If you have a prayer request or a need, if you would like to sit down with us and study scripture, if you would like to know more about what it means to become a Christian, we would love this opportunity as the church to be here for you during this next song. Before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.